So we're in this series called um, Continue In. So the last series we did was I taught seven weeks in the book of Acts called Begin Again. And then we're looking now at Paul's letter to the Corinthians and we're calling it Continue In. And what we're interested in is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians about how they can continue in the faith. Now, Corinth was a city much like Houston. We talked about this some last week. It was a city of movers and shakers. It was fairly profitable in terms of its economy was strong. Uh, It in many ways was like ours, and there were Christians there. Uh, And they were trying to work out how do you live in the world but not of the world. Now, I realize that not everybody here is a Christian, okay? I I, I acknowledge that. This time is not just for Christians. And so so I just want to say that to you that I'm glad you're here because what you're going to get to see today, you're going to get to look into um, the way that God thinks about the way Christians ought to live together on mission, and so the couple of weeks ago, we began this series, and we looked at the first nine verses of Corinthians, and what I taught you was that when you look to the world to find that I'm okay, it's what you can do for yourself, but when you look to God for the I'm okay, it's all about what God has done for you. That's a good word. And then last week, we looked at when the church is unified, it is a beautiful masterpiece exhibiting God's presence in the world. That was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. And there's actually a number of times throughout Corinthians where Paul is dealing with issues of division in the church. And so that'll come up again. Well, today what I want you to see is that the beauty of the gospel, that's the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. The beauty of the gospel is that the ultimate the ultimately powerful one, Jesus, becomes the ultimately weak one so that you and I can be reconciled to God. Let me say that again. The beauty of this gospel is that the ultimately powerful one becomes the ultimately weak one so that we can be reconciled to God, be made right with God. So the conversation is so important. The Corinthians are learning how to live out their faith. They're, like all of us, trying to figure out how to get, again, to be in the world but not of the world. And uh, they, they represent, as a people, God's presence in the community. It's sort of like uh, my kids all started school this week. And we have four kids in three different schools, and so things at our home are quite interesting. Three of them are playing football, and so we're moving and shaking, all that kind of stuff. But I do these little speeches to them, and they fortunately humor me. I'll call them all together, and I'll say, family meeting. And I think I've mentioned this to you before. It used to be family meeting, we're pregnant. And so now sometimes we get together like family meeting, and and Kobe and my oldest are like, are we pregnant again? (laughs) Like, no, we're not. I don't think. Are we? No. Okay, hopefully not. So uh, we call the family meeting together before the school year, and this is the kind of speech I give them. I say, listen, God has a plan for your life. You don't have to be perfect, but God has put us in the city for a reason. And when you go out with the name of Cravens, you represent this family in the community. Now, when they were real young and in my immaturity as a parent, I thought more of like this. When you go out, your hair better be brushed and your clothes better be right. Well, now with four kids and trying to get them, I don't care if they walk out. I mean, as long as they have some kind of clothes on, you know, I don't care. Their hair can be like, you know, all over the place. Because now when I send them out in the community, what I hope that they'll do is represent the Cravens' name, the Cravens' family, and one another with kindness, with courage, 
with service, with obedience to the authorities that God put in their life. It used to be about parents, grades, and social status, right? But now it's about kindness and courage and service mostly. Sometimes I still drift in that old way. It's the same way for the church, and for us as a church, we represent God's presence in the world. And so when we go out into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods and into the community, we are a representation of who God is. When people see us together, they see who God is. And so Paul knows this, and this is why he is so serious about dealing with very real issues in the church in Corinth. He's wrestling on their behalf. He's he's he's. He's teaching them, and he's, he's chiding them some, and he's pulling them back. He wants for their allegiance to be Jesus and for their influence to be the Spirit of God and not the way of the world, in the world, but not of the world. They, like all of us, feel drawn on a daily basis or a weekly basis to a culture that says things are done in another way, which we'll look at how that is. Today, the passage is really about uh, power. Everybody say power. Power. It's about power. So in in the first century, during the time of this letter was written, uh, Paul's trying to help them to understand real power versus fake power. When I was a kid, I used to love to watch professional wrestling any others out there who love to watch professional wrestling fess it up fess it up so one of the coolest things I did as a youth pastor was I would take students to these WWE and WWF wrestling matches and uh and when I was young I didn't realize but when I was young I thought it was all real now I'm not trying to disappoint any of you but it's not as real as they try to make you think it is and so when I was young I went and I was like what power right what strength And I thought in my immaturity it was all real. But as I got older, I realized that it wasn't a real power. It wasn't real strength. So as a funny side note, I introduced Ryan to you earlier. He told me that uh, yesterday, (laughs) uh, how many of y'all know the name Booker T, the professional wrestler? Booker T, yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's him right there. Uh, that's what Ryan looks like with his shirt off. But anyway, um, <laughs> yesterday Ryan told me, hey, you'll never guess what I got invited to do Booker T's uh, wrestling camp. And so, um, so Ryan went to Booker T wrestling camp. I don't know if you noticed, I did, but when he was walking off the stage, he was limping a little bit. <laughs> I have no idea. You might want to talk to him about this later. But, but Ryan is here in uh, wrestling camp. I think there's one more picture just for fun. So here they are. And one funny thing about this, Ryan said he got there and it was all 22-year-olds. And um, when they found out he was 40, uh, Booker T nicknamed him Father Time. <laughs> so that's his wrestling and worship leader name from now on. When we get him up on the website. You see, there's a difference between real power and fake power. <laughs> And uh, my point is, you know, professional wrestling, it's interesting, it's entertaining, the world looks at it, and there are literally hundreds of thousands, millions of people that look at it and are stirred by it and excited by it, but what we all know is like, it's not real. It is not real power. In the same way, the world has a definition of real power, and then the gospel has another definition of power. So the world says this is real power, knowledge, for instance. 
in first century Corinth, it was a meritocracy, which means that uh, the most educated uh, were the ones that earned the most influence. And most, if not all, of the people that made up the church in Corinth came out of this Greek Hellenistic culture that sought to gain power through wisdom. They were less interested in connecting with God personally and more interested in attaining influence and power and maybe connecting with the higher power through their intellect. So wisdom, which is the power currency of the day, is gained through intellect or knowledge. The world is saying, hey, knowledge is where there's power. Intellect is where there's power. The more knowledge you have, the more intellect you have, the more power you have, the more fulfilled your life is going to be. Also, the world said and says, even today, that power, real power is through achievement. This is really relevant for our group. This is a high-achieving group. Mary Bell, one of the top consultants to uh, very successful executives says this phrase, and it caught my attention. It's so good. It says, achievement is the alcohol of our time. People are addicted to it and believe that if they just get more of it, it'll make their life more powerful, more interesting, more satisfying. And in the first century Corinthian church, the culture that, around, that was around them, uh, their achievement was often, uh, they'd sought achievement through rhetoric, through the ability to speak with eloquence. So these Corinthians are trying to sort out, okay, what does it mean to follow Jesus while at the same time being in this culture where knowledge and achievement are the way to power, which is the same kind of way and community we live in, right? But the gospel says something different, and this is what Paul is going to say. The gospel says real power is on display through Christ crucified which says something about Jesus, and through your salvation, the fact that you have been saved, which says something about you. This is in many ways the, the process that we must go through continually in our lives in believing that, that real power in life is not through what the world defines as powerful, knowledge, achievement, whatever it might be, but instead real power in our life is gained through a deeper understanding and belief and trust in the power of Christ crucified and the, the just insanity of the fact that we have been saved in Christ. So with all that in mind, let's look at the passage Christ crucified. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross, the message of the cross, the message of the gospel, Jesus died and was raised from the dead so that your sin can be forgiven, so that you can be reconciled to God, be given new life. This word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Have you ever talked to somebody about your faith in Jesus and then just look at you like you're crazy? Here's what you can do from now on. You can say, I know. <laughs> the Bible says it. This word of the cross, the gospel, the faith that we hold so dearly, and the one that many of you and myself hopefully allow to shape our lives, it's folly. It doesn't make sense to people that do not believe. But it is the power of God to those that are being saved. As I mentioned, the Greeks thought wisdom would give them power. And the Christian gospel is a message about a man named Jesus who emptied himself, resulting in death on a cross. So no mere human in his right 
mind would have dreamed up this scheme for redemption. No, no human would have thought of this. That God was going to rescue people, save people by emptying himself, laying his life down on the cross. It's preposterous. It's humiliating for God in the minds of the people that do not believe, right? Completely humiliating. It's an upside down kind of definition of power. It appears to the world to be foolishness. Now, in our day, people might think of the cross and Jesus in a positive kind of way, like morally. Like, like most people, even those that are outside the Christian faith, would say, hey, Jesus did some good things. Right? It is a good thing to minister to people that are in need. It's a good thing to invite people in, the, the children and the women and, and those that tended to be marginalized. But in the first century... No one would have considered it to be a good thing for the leader of a movement to be crucified. No one would have. I mean, we might look at it and go, oh, that's a pretty good thing, even if you're not a follower of Christ. But in the first century, it is complete foolishness to consider that God's plan is to empty himself, to allow himself to be slaughtered on a cross so that you and I can be reconciled to God. That's foolishness. But it happened. Paul says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? In other words, all these people have tried to gain power in these ways, but God has made all of that like not work. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, you cannot by your intellect and accumulation of knowledge gain God's approval for your life or earn God's salvation or even stir in your self-belief. Please God, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block, a scandal to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. For those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's an upside-down definition of power. This is the Christian gospel. Corinthians would have had no category for seeing the cross as positively inspiring or heartwarming this message, this idea would be unacceptable to people that are outside the church. It's interesting, and I just want to kind of drill in on this point because, you know, some of you are here, and what you want is really like, okay, here's three ways you can do better at your job this week. And, and I hope that you're encouraged, and I hope that you walk away thinking about how this all applies to your job. But here's what you must understand is that the, the gospel that you have received or that you have the opportunity to receive is, defines power in a very different way than the world defines power. And the more you understand that, the more you will enjoy your job no matter how good or bad it is. No matter how much you achieve or do not achieve. No matter how much intellect you have or do not have. You can find meaning and purpose in the cross of Christ regardless of your achievement and regardless of your intellect. And for some of you, that's a really good message because some of you are here and you've gained intellect, you've gained uh, status, you achieve things, and you still feel empty. That is a crushing reality to people. 
And, and some of you are still like in your 20s, and, and you're still thinking, well, if I can learn more, if I can gain more power, and I'm not diminishing the fact that many of you are in school and doing well, and continue to do that. Get rich. That'd be awesome. Um, you know, but, but I'm saying to you, is like your ultimate hope and purpose and meaning will never be found in those things. Why? Because the gospel defines power as Christ crucified. We put our hope and our trust and we throw our lives onto that. And so that when we go to our work, whether or not we achieve this week, whether or not we learn something this week, whether or not we're better than people or not as good as the people that are around us, no matter what, we can say, yes, my hope is in God and Christ alone. Is anybody with me? That's the good news, and I don't know about you, but it feels good to me. I have thought in my life, if I just got to this status, that I would feel a sense of purpose and meaning. And I've gotten to that status on several different occasions, and it's just like, okay, what, then there's, what's next? But whenever I toss my weary heart on the good news that God has done something for me in Christ that I could never do for myself, then I have a sense of hope and purpose and meaning even when I'm not achieving, even when I'm not learning, even when I'm not better than the people around me in the world's definition. The cross of Christ is foolishness to those that are perishing, but let me just say it's available to all of you. God is not interested in the cultural currency of human eloquence or sophistication. Oh, I mean, if you will hear that, that is painful to hear. God is not interested in the cultural currency of human eloquence or sophistication. It doesn't merit anything in his eyes. Nothing. Just bathe in your minds in that truth. Status before God is not purchasable by means of scholarship or achievement. In fact, the way of God, the way of wisdom for God, is considered by the world to be foolishness. But it's the way of Christ And we must embrace this fully as individuals and as a community for us to be a living manifestation of Christ in the world. Now, I do want to make the point because I don't want to... And we have uh, my friend Oren is here. Oren is, where are you? Right back here. Are you awake, bro? Okay. Um, Oren is a very, he works at Southern Seminary. He's very intelligent. He doesn't want to be pointed out, but he comes to church like once every four years. So I want to, uh, to this church, to this church, just to make the point. Um, and so Oren is in an environment with the most brilliant minds in all of the, uh, like, like Christian educators world. I mean, he really is. He's, he's, he's there. And so, so I'm not diminishing the value of gaining knowledge. And, and, or, or I'm not diminishing the value of, of being reasonable and intelligent. I'm not diminishing that. But what I'm saying to you is that is not where your power is going to be. Paul is using intellect and reason to make his case here. It's foolishness. 
And you say, this is so hard to understand. And I would say, yes, it is. It's hard to understand because it's so hard to believe. So real power in the Christian faith and as a community is in Christ, believing that Christ was crucified. That's foolishness. The world has their definition of wisdom. God has his definition of wisdom, which is completely different than the world's. We embrace it. We believe it. And we also understand that there's power in acknowledging that it's just insane that we've been saved. Look at verse uh, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. He's writing this to his people in Corinth, and he's basically about to say to them, hey, if intellect and achievement were the only way to gain status and power, you all are in trouble because you're not the smartest group. You're not the, the what's the phrase, the sharpest tool in the toolbox. No, that's not right. The sharpest knife in the drawer or, you know, whatever, whatever. Just fill it in. I don't care. Okay, so he's saying, you're, you're, not, you're not like, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. <laughs> but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Like, hey, I'm so great, God chooses me. Some of you are here and you don't know about a relationship with God because you know what a sorry dog you are. I know what a sorry dog I am. Sometimes I'm astounded by the wickedness of my own heart and by my tendency to be drawn to worldly temptation. And I have to regularly go, God, it's only by your grace that I'm saved, much less somebody that gets to participate in inviting others to Christ. And God uses people that are low and despised in the world For his glory. This is the Christian gospel. There are some churches this morning that will gather, and what they'll do is they'll try to say, Oh, you're so great, you know, um, you know, triumph. And, you you know, to triumph, you must recognize what an awesome individual you are, and blah, blah, blah. Very like self help, secular counseling kind of stuff. And what I'm saying to you this morning is you're not great. You're, You're really not. But yet God chose you. You know you're tempted. You know this week when you opened your phone and you looked at that image that if your mother knew, she would weep in embarrassment. Some of you know how much time you frittered away and how much money you completely wasted. You know yourself. You know your mind. And what I'm saying to you is that the power of the gospel is that God Almighty chooses you. It's, it's, like, it's, like, um, it's like if we were to, to uh, sign up for a, a church softball league. Who, who would like to do that? Sign up for church softball league. We're not going to do it. Anyway, um, <laughs> If you were to sign up for church softball league, and um, um, <laughs> oh man, um, and uh, I would say, okay, we're going to sign up for this church softball league, and here's what we're going to do: we're going to all go out and we're going to hit, and we're going to throw, and we're going to run, and we're going to rank everybody, and then I was to say, I want the eleven of you that are the absolute worst. 
I picked the 11 of you that are the absolute worst. I'll pick one of the, the, the newborn that's in the, you know, in the nursery. You know, this kid cannot run or throw or anything, you know, yet. How shameful. He's low and despised. He can't even stop a grounder, you know. This is what God has done. He essentially has said, I want to do something to rescue you. And you think to yourself, well, I'm not as bad as another person. Let me tell you something. Compared to God's holiness, you are low and despised. I mean, you may be awesome in your workplace, and you are, no doubt. You may be the best in your class, no doubt. You may be the best mom, the best dad in terms of the world's definition. But compared to God's holiness, you know what? You are the low and despised. I am the low and despised. But yet in spite of that, God in Christ has chosen to rescue you. He's put you on his team. And the reason has, he's picked you and put you on his team is because when he wins, which he will, who gets the credit? Not the six-month-old in the nursery. If I put together a team of 11 of the worst of you and we won the city league, you know what? I would get a lot of credit. <laughs> God has put together the weak so that he can prove himself strong because God knows the definition of strength. This is why in the Bible, when you read about the story of Jesus, you know who he spends a lot of time with? The poor, the prostitute, the sick, the criminals. And you know who he chides quite often? The people who were religious that thought they had it all together. So this Christian gospel is for you. This is why we see in the book of Acts, one of my favorite verses in all the Bibles in Acts 4.13, where Peter and John are ministering, and the crowd looks at him, and they see them as unschooled and ordinary men. God rescues you. This is the power of the gospel. And the reason all this isn't so important to believe, again, is because if you believe that real power in your life is going to come through achievement and intellect, and nothing wrong with achieving, and nothing wrong with being intelligent. Don't hear me diminishing those things. But if you put your hope in those things, when that is not calibrated correctly, you're going to be very disappointed, and you're going to be crushed, and you're going to begin finding hope in other things that will destroy you eventually. What I'm saying to you is that we find our hope in a Christ crucified. We find our strength in Christ crucified. We find our strength in the truth that God has used, uh, has, has sought us out as low and despised. And this passage I want you to have in your mind um, in verse 30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus. It's all about him. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. So this is real power. I hope you'll believe it. If you will, in increasing measure through the course of your life, you know what will happen? You will enjoy your life more. (laughs) You really will. And we as a church, as individuals who believe that, in community, get to be a very real representation of who Christ is in the world, which this city needs, the presence of God. And that's what we'll give our breath to until the last one. The beauty of this gospel is that the ultimately powerful one, Jesus, becomes the ultimately weak one so that you can be reconciled to God. And if you believe that, there's power. Let's think on and pray about these things. So with your head bowed, maybe some of you are here and you've not yet crossed over the line of faith. And today you walked in not knowing that God would rescue you from your sin. 
You want to be at peace with God, and you say, what do I do? Here's what you do. You very simply say to God in your heart, right there where you are, you say, God, I realize I'm not perfect. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and he was raised from the dead so that I could have new life. I want to experience that new life. So I've said a lot, but say something like that to God. He knows your heart. And for all the rest of you that have crossed over the line of faith, you have, just like me, been tempted to believe what the world's definition of power is, which is intellect and achievement. And maybe you've gained those things and you've been left wanting. What I'm saying to you today is you can just bathe in the beautiful gospel that says your life will be most powerful whenever you acknowledge the foolishness of the cross and you put your hope in not your achievement or intellect, but you put your hope in the goodness of God as demonstrated in the fact that you were low and despised, but yet he has chosen to save you from your sin. That belief is believing the gospel, and I hope that it just saturates all of our hearts, mine especially. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to lead you in a time of response. God Almighty, I, uh, I confess to you that I'm regularly drawn to the world's definitions of power, I need you to pull me back under the the merciful embrace of the gospel. God, help me to believe more fully that though the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, it is where there is true life. pray that for this church that I have the privilege of participating in. And God, there are some here that are so caught up in a life that is about achievement. That God, it's only going to be by your grace and a powerful work of your spirit that you would release them from that so that they can live in your power while also achieving things in this life.